Hey, howdy, hey, Northridge family. I hope this morning finds you well. Uh, welcome to our Sunday morning live stream due to the weather. We're going to open with a time of prayer, um, our, our normal prayer list. There we want to pray for our state, local, and national leaders. We want to pray for our church and our church family. Particularly, be in prayer for Roger, uh, Roger Skelton, for Jerry and Belinda, and for April Mijares, uh, as they're all dealing with different sorts of health difficulties. Pray for the other churches in Guyman. Pray for the Texas County Memorial Hospital, the staff, and all the health care workers. Pray for Dan Stiles, the board, the staff, and the residents of Dunaway Manor. Pray for our teachers, our students, and our local school boards. Pray disciples of Jesus would have many opportunities to share Jesus this Christmas season. Pray God would call men and women, and particularly men and women from our church, to the mission field. Pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that would launch the American church into their communities to witness for Christ. Pray we would be soul conscious. Pray disciples of Jesus would be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because we know our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Pray our prodigals would turn back to Jesus. Pray God would search our hearts and our lives for anything hindering our relationship to Him. Confess sin in your life. Pray about personal burdens on your heart. But this is just a time to pray. Let me read to you from Psalm 103. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses and his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he always keep his anger. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame and remembereth that we are but dust. As for man, his ways are as grass and a flower in the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over and it's gone. And the place thereof, no one knoweth no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him. And His righteousness unto His children's children, to such as keep His covenant, and to those who remember His commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye His angels that excel in strength, that do His commandments, hearkening unto the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all ye His hosts, ye ministers of His that do His pleasure. Bless the Lord. All His works and all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We come today, Lord, and we are thankful for Your grace and Your goodness. We do want to bless Your name. Father, we want to to bless Your name and let all that is within us, Father, not just the words we say, but the attitudes we have, the life we live, the way we we use our life. Let everything we are and everything we have, let it bless Your name. Help us, Lord, to forget not all Your benefits. Lord, in a time when 
things may be difficult in a time when when things are hard, in a time when we may be going through trials and tribulations, it's easy to forget all the good things you have done for us. But Lord, you have forgiven all our iniquities. Father, you have given us an abounding number amount of mercy and not given us what we deserve. Father, it is an amazing thing to think that that you looked down from heaven and you saw us in our rebellion and in our rejection of you and you cared for us. And not only did you send Jesus to come and die for our sins and, and for him to rise again, but you sent your spirit to reveal Jesus to us so that we would turn to Christ and we would embrace him as our savior. But even beyond that, Lord, we we have failed so many times since coming to Jesus. And yet in each time, your mercy is there. In each time, your grace is there. In each time, Father, we find your grace is sufficient. We rejoice in that and we do want to bless your name. Father, bless our church and those who are struggling right now. God, Roger, continue to touch his body and make him well. Bless Jerry and Belinda. Strengthen them and bless their family and give them wisdom and guidance in this time. Bless April. Touch her body and make her well. And Lord, any others that may be having issues and struggles that that I don't know about work in their lives, bless them and encourage them. Strengthen them in the grace you give through faith in Jesus Christ. Father, do have your way in our service today. Let your spirit move in our hearts, even though we're not together. And let him take this word and make it living and active in our hearts and draw us ever closer to Jesus. We ask in his name, for his sake. Amen. All right, this morning we're going to be in Isaiah 9 as we are all the month of December. Now, when we're in Isaiah 9, the people of Judah and Jerusalem were facing a severe crisis. They were about to be attacked by the, by the, uh, the nation of Judah was about to be attacked by an alliance of the Syrian kingdom and the northern kingdom of Israel. Now for years, Syria and northern Israel had been bitter enemies. But there was a common foe that had risen up and it was causing them to unite. And it was the great Assyrian army. And the Assyrian army was great and mighty and it was kind of moving across the world and devouring the land and, and conquering nations. Well, Syria and Israel determined they would rebel against them, but they wanted Judah to help. Well, the king of Judah refused to join the alliance, but Syria and Israel would not take no for an answer. So they set up a a siege around Jerusalem and they were going to either kill them out or starve them out. But the ultimate goal was to get the king to surrender to them. So that either the king would choose to change his mind and join their rebellion or they would kill the king and they would set up a puppet king who would lead the armies of Judah to join in the rebellion against Assyria. Well, one small city state against these two larger nations made things seem hopeless. At the end of Isaiah chapter 8, there was a A spirit of anguish and distress gripping the hearts of the people. They were at this point living in a war-torn nation. They felt completely helpless. 
Most of the world around them had already fallen to the Assyrians who were sweeping across the land, conquering everything in sight. This was a dark and a dismal day and a hopeless day for the people of Judah. And it's into to that situation we move to when we look at Isaiah chapter 9. To those people who are gripped by a spirit of anguish, by a spirit of hopelessness, by a spirit of despair, God sends this message. Isaiah 9 verses 1 through 7. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. When at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, afterward did more grievously afflict her by way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. Now, literally of the nations means of the Gentiles. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light and they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of the burden and the staff off his shoulder. The rod of his oppressor is in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and his garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment, with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Title of the message this morning is Jesus, the mighty God. Let's pray again. Our Father, we love you today. And Lord, we we aren't in quite the same situation Israel was at the time of this writing. But Lord, we know what it is to be gripped with the spirit of anguish. We know what it is to feel hopeless and helpless because of circumstances beyond our control. We know what it is to feel that the enemy is surrounding us and is going to conquer us. We know what it is to feel outnumbered and outgunned and to feel our defeat is certain. And Father, like the people of Israel, we need today a message of hope. We need today, Father, to know That no matter what's going on in the world around us, what the circumstances are, what the news says, what the economy does, what's going on in international relations, no matter what's going on, our lives are in your hands. And you can do exceedingly, abundantly above all we ask or anticipate. We need to know you can do this because Jesus has come. So, Father, today, send your Holy Spirit and and let him cause us to to lay aside the cares of life we've brought to this time in the word. Let him cause, Father, whatever, maybe electronic devices we're watching this on, not to, to beep and boop and bop and distract us, but we could be focused in this time on what you have for us. 
from this word. Let your spirit come and let him take the word and make it living and active in our lives to to convict us, God, if that's what's needed, to challenge us if that's what's needed, but also to encourage us if that's what's needed, to strengthen us if that's what's needed. And to draw our hearts and our eyes and our lives closer to Jesus because that is always needed, O oh God. Give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech to speak the message you have given to me and use it to glorify your name among our church. So we would be strengthened and able to go out into our community and glorify your name among the peoples of Guymon and Goodwell and Hooker and Texhoma to the ends of the earth. We ask in Jesus name. Amen. Now, Isaiah sees the day coming when God would lift the people out of the darkness and despair by sending the Messiah. That's what verse six is all about. Now, the people of Isaiah's day, this was a shining message of hope in an agonizing despair and hopelessness of the world around them. Now, the message in verse 6 is our primary focus for this study. And I mentioned this last week, but it bears repeating how verse 6 begins. For unto us, reminding us, Jesus' coming was for our benefit. I mean, to me, that is something that we should always be amazed by. Jesus came for our benefit. Jesus would say in the Gospels, He came not to, not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. How amazing is that? The Messiah would come for our benefit. He would come for our good. But he's also a son that is given. And that phrase is reminiscent of John 3.16 where we're told for God so loved the world that he, he gave his only begotten son. And then, of course, another Christmas verse that we find in Isaiah is Isaiah 7 and 14 where we're promised that a virgin would conceive and bear a son. And his name would be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. The Gospel of Matthew tells us Jesus was the fulfillment of that verse. Jesus is God with us. So Jesus the Messiah was a child born and a son given unto us for our benefit to fulfill all the promises God made through Isaiah. And I want us today, we're going to look at the promises God made to Isaiah in verses 1 through 5. Again, verse 6 is the key for the month, but we really want to see and understand what has gone on in these verses before us. So in these verses, there was something God promised to Israel and it meant something to them then. But it also means something to us today. The Messiah would come and He would do some things. 
Since we know Jesus is the Messiah, I'm going to put it in that form. First, oh, there were the good grief. I'm way behind. Sorry, the the crowd in here has thrown me from from everything. Um, Jesus gives light in the darkness. Jesus gives light in the darkness. Verse one and two. It's. It speaks to the the darkness, the gloom, the despair the people of Israel already felt. But what Isaiah says is it's not always going to be that way. Right now, here was what was going to happen or here was what had happened. When the Assyrians had begun to attack, they they conquered certain places. And some of the places they conquered was the land that belonged to the tribe of Naphtali and to the land that belonged to the tribe of Nebulun. And, and they conquered it to such an extent that it was going to be called the Galilee of the nations, meaning the Gentiles would live there. So in the days of Jesus, there were almost no Jewish people who lived in Naphtali and in the land of Zebulun. The Gentiles lived there. It was completely conquered. It was completely defeated. The people there were almost essentially replaced by those who did not know God, who did not worship God. And so the land that belonged to Israel, it laid in darkness. There was a spiritual darkness abounding in that place because of the Gentiles who lived there, the people who did not know God, did not worship God, but worshiped their pagan gods. But Isaiah says it would not always be that way. As bad as this day was now, there was a day coming. He says in verse 2, where those who, who walk in darkness would see a great light. Those who live in the, in the shadow of death, that upon them a light would shine. The Messiah would come and He would go to that place conquered by the Gentiles. He would take light to those people and He would dispel the darkness and He would dispel the gloom brought on by Gentile domination. We don't have time to look at it, but take some time and read Matthew chapter 4. This is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. It begins with Jesus going into wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. He resists the devil's temptation. He comes out in the, the power of the Spirit and he begins his ministry. And he begins his ministry, guess where? In Galilee. In the regions of Zebulon and Naphtali. And Matthew says, this was done. To fulfill what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. And Matthew quotes Isaiah 9 verses 1 and 2. Those who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Jesus is the great darkness dispelling light. Jesus came to give light to those who are bound in the bondage of darkness. Jesus came to give light to those who are constantly living under the shadow of death. Now, when we talk about darkness, Scripture often uses darkness as a symbol for evil, for sin. 
And for the, the lack of knowledge about God, those who, who don't know God, those who don't understand Him, are said to live in darkness, spiritual darkness. Jesus was the child born. Jesus was the Son given. So He could give us light in the midst of darkness. Jesus said it this way, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now the picture of walking in darkness is the picture of stumbling and groping through life. Have you ever, have you ever been in a place that was like absolute dark? I don't mean like under the stars, out on the plains at night dark. I mean the kind of, of dark where you can feel it almost. You can't see literally your hand in front of your face. And if you've ever been in that kind of darkness, you know that without a light you and you have to move, you are careful in the steps you take because you don't know. Is there a hole there? Is there a, something in the way? Does the, does the roof suddenly drop down and you're going to bang your head? You, you walk slowly. You stumble about. You feel around. And that is a, an image of people who, who don't know Jesus. That they're stumbling and groping through life. They don't really have a, a purpose. They don't know what they're here for. They, they don't know that they're enslaved to their sin. They don't understand the severity of their sin. How is it, how it is an offense to Almighty God. They don't understand who Jesus is. They don't understand why Jesus came. They don't see how they need Jesus in their life. They don't understand why Jesus created them or what He might save them to be. This is how all of us are naturally. Apart from Jesus, we are all stumbling about in darkness. However, Jesus came so we would not have to live in this way. He came so we could live in His light. So we could live a life which was holy, righteous, and true. He came so we could live a life where we would truly understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. came so we would know with absolute certainty why He created us and what He has saved us to be. He came so we could live in His life. Could the life you live, could it legitimately be described as righteous, holy, and true as Jesus was righteous? And holy and true. It can be. Because of Jesus. Jesus came to give us light. So we wouldn't have to walk in the darkness of sin. Do you understand? Truly understand who Jesus is. And, and what he has done. And, and how that's important to you. You can. Because of Jesus. 
Jesus can give you light so you don't walk in the darkness of, of not understanding what He is like and why He came. Do you feel like you're stumbling and, and groping through life? You don't have to. Because of Jesus. Jesus can give you light so you don't walk in the darkness of, of not knowing why Jesus created you or, or what He might save you to become. Without Jesus, we all live in spiritual darkness. So as a natural part of living in darkness, we tend to think this world is all there is. And so we, we focus our lives on what sinful man can do for us. Or, or we focus our lives on what we as sinful people can do for ourselves. So we stumble through life. Never truly understanding anything beyond the here and the now. Never truly grasping the, the nature of Christ and what He has done. Never truly even really understanding our own sinful nature or beyond that, our own potential in Christ. Jesus was a child born. And Jesus was a son given unto us. So He could take away our darkness. And cause us to live in His light. Jesus was a child born. Jesus was a son given so we could live in His light even in the midst of deep spiritual darkness. And I say it that way because this world is spiritually dark. And this world will always be spiritually dark until Jesus returns. However, just because the world is dark doesn't mean we have to stumble about in the darkness. Because of Jesus, we can have the light of life in the midst of the deep spiritual darkness of our world. Jesus, the Messiah, was a child born, a son given, so we could have light in the midst of darkness. But also, Jesus gives joy in the midst of misery. Jesus gives joy in misery. Now imagine you lived in a nation ravaged by war. Imagine the population around you has diminished. Imagine you and your city and the people who live there. You're the, I mean, as far as you know, you have no idea what's happened to those outside of Ghana. I mean, all of your family in every other part of Oklahoma or every other part of the country, for all you know, they may have been murdered. They may have been enslaved. You don't know what's happened. Imagine the, how demoralized you would feel, how discouraged, how depressed. Imagine the, the mystery because now the nation that did that out there is here. They're, the wolf is at the door and they're coming for you. The fear, the misery of, of all of that was pressing down upon them at this moment. But Isaiah says it will not always be this way. For the day would come when the Messiah would multiply joy to the nation. 
And the joy, I love the way the joy that he would bring is described. First, it's the joy of harvest. Now, I'm not a farmer. I never have been. But some of you are or have been. You know how significant it is when the crop comes in. How significant it is when it comes in and it's a good harvest. Everything has worked out. There's not been a frost that destroyed things. There's not been a hailstorm that destroyed things. A tornado hasn't ripped through and torn the crops up. But, but everything was fine. You harvested it in time. And now you have this great produce that you can take and, and sell and provide for your family and everything. The kind of joy of the harvest is the kind of joy the Messiah would bring. Second, the joy of the Messiah, it would actually be in the Messiah. Right? I skipped a part. They will joy before thee. Right? So the idea is that He would give us joy that would lead us to, to praise Him, to worship Him for the light of the salvation in which He has given us. So it's not a, just a, it's not a joy in the harvest, but it's a joy Greater than the joy of the harvest. Because it's in the Lord. It's also a joy. He says. Like as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. And this pictures soldiers winning a battle. Not so much in our day. But in this day when soldiers won the battle. What they would do is they would then go across the, the battlefield. And they would essentially pick the dead bodies of the enemy clean. And they would take their swords and their shields and their armor and their money and their food and anything valuable they had that was a part of the spoil. And then they would typically they would bring it back and, and they would put it all together and it would be divided up among all the soldiers who had fought in the battle. Now, as you can imagine, the, the victory, the, the joy of winning and you're still alive, the joy of the spoil is a great joy, but this is the kind of joy, it's a picture of the kind of joy the Messiah would give. Now, these are powerful pictures of joy. And it's the kind of joy we can have in our lives because of Jesus. The joy is, is something that it is missing, so often missing in our world today. I mean, just look. Social media, for whatever else it does, it gives us an insight into the, the, the psyche and the heart of people around us. Some of it's fake, sure. But periodically people let us in. Think about the anger we see on social media. How much joy is there in that anger? Think of the fear we see on social media. How much joy is there in that fear? I mean, think of the, the anguish we see on social media. How much joy is there in the midst of that? But maybe we're not on social media. Maybe we just know people. Think of the people you know. How many of them truly are joyful? Think about yourself. Could Are you joyful? Because of Jesus, we can be. We can have 
joy in the Lord. We can have a joy like the joy of a great harvest. We can have the joy of victory in battle. Jesus is a child given, a child given and a son born. Child born and a son given. So we can have joy in the midst of misery. Check this out. Peter says, whom having not seen, that's Jesus. They haven't seen Jesus, yet they love Him. And, and though they believe, they have not seen Him, they believe. And notice what it says. They rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, let, let me ask you. I mean, just a real honest question in, in your time at your house right now. Can you say the life you live is marked with joy unspeakable and full of glory? We should. We can because of Jesus. Now, here's the deal. This passage is given in the midst of a miserable time. It's given in the midst of people who are suffering for their faith in Jesus. Their lives at this point are miserable and hard. The verses before it talk about them going through fiery trials. And yet, in the midst of a fiery trial, in the midst of their misery, they have. Not, not He's not telling them they, they could have. He is saying you do have. Right now, in the midst of all of this, because of Jesus, you have joy unspeakable and it's full of glory. Can you imagine going through the worst time of your life? And in the midst of that, you have a joy in the Lord. Which is so great, you can't give full expression to it. You, you can't explain it. You don't have the vocabulary to tell how joyous your heart feels, even though you're actually kind of miserable in life. And it's full of the glory of the Lord. We can have that because of Jesus. Jesus is a child born. And a son given. So that even in the midst of miserable circumstances. We can have abounding joy. Now Peter isn't the only person who says something like this. We see it lived out by the apostles in the book of Acts. How many times were they arrested? Or beat down? Threatened? And yet leave rejoicing because they had been worthy to suffer for Christ. Think about the book of Philippians. Paul speaks often about rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And yet Paul was writing from a Roman prison. He wasn't 100% sure he was going to be released. He, he might be beheaded then. But, nevertheless, he was filled with a joy unspeakable. And it was full of glory. 
He had a joy the circumstances, the miserable circumstances of life couldn't take away. This is the same kind of joy we can have because of Jesus. Jesus was a child born. Jesus was a son given so we could have joy in the midst of misery. Now, to me, this is important because life is always going to be hard. I mean, sometimes it's harder than others. But as long as we live in a fallen, sin-cursed world, that as Paul says in Romans, is, is groaning for redemption itself, there's always going to be sickness and disease and hurt and bad circumstances and things beyond our control and people who do things that make our lives miserable. It, it's always going to be difficult to live in this life. There will always be experiences of misery. But... Because of Jesus in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the loss, in the midst of the misery, we can have joy because of Jesus. Jesus was a, a child born and a son given unto us so we could have light in the midst of darkness. Jesus gives joy in the midst of misery. And, and then thirdly and finally, Jesus gives us hope in the midst of conflict. In Isaiah 4, Isaiah 9 and 4, Isaiah speaks of historical reference from the book of Judges. It says, For thou hast broke the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. Now, Judges 7 tells us the story. Uh, when the Midianites had conquered Jerusalem or conquered Israel and were oppressing them. And, and God worked through a man named Gideon to defeat the Midianites. Now, if you remember the story, it was a pretty miraculous story. Gideon sounded the call and got an army. But God looked on the army and he saw it's too big. It's too big. If you win this battle now... You'll think you did it. So God whittled his army down until it was only 300 people. So when the victory was won and the battle was over, they would say God had done it, not they themselves. And Isaiah says, just as God gave Gideon victory over the Midianites, so he would give victory to his people. He goes on in verse 5 to talk about how thorough this was. For every battle... Of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. Now, what that pictures is taking all of the weapons of war. All of the, the garments that were stained in blood. All of the weapons of war and burning them. Right? So it's a victory so complete. There's such a, a peace so complete that there's not any need anymore for weapons of warfare. You would burn them. You would destroy them. And you would be through with them. It's similar to what some of the minor prophets say. About you beat your weapons and your swords into plowshares. It's just a, a time of absolute peace. Where there will never be any war. Anymore. A time where there would be peace. True peace. On earth. Now as we look at, at our world. We see. Clearly, it's not today, is it? I saw just some things trending on social media. There was apparently some rally last night and 
different groups clashed and people were stabbed and things were broken and people shouted and screamed and cussed at one another. Clearly, we're not living in the time of peace Isaiah speaks of right now. Does this mean Jesus has failed? Is our peace gone? Is it not something He's able to do? Well, no, that's not what it means. Many times Old Testament prophecies had multiple fulfillments. Sometimes even three. Something it meant for them in their day. Something it would mean at the coming of Jesus. The first coming. And something it would mean at the second coming of Jesus. We see this here. There was something this meant in this day in the the coming battle with Assyria. God would in some way give them victory over the Assyrians and there would be peace. And the Gospel of Matthew states some of this fulfillment happened when Jesus was born. I mean, we talk about it the, the Christmas season, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. That is a a partial fulfillment of it. But the ultimate fulfillment of it is yet to come. Revelation describes it in this way. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Of course, we know this is heaven. This is the end of all things. In this life, there will be death and sorrow and crying and suffering. It really, if you think about it, so many ways if we were going to summarize 2020, death, sorrow, crying and suffering seem to be accurate. But while it may be more acute in 2020, Maybe something we're more aware of, we feel more closely right now. Death, sorrow, crying and suffering have always been a part of the world since man fell into sin and sin entered the world. 2020 just seems to have amplified this or amplified our awareness of it. And if we're not careful, this amplification of our awareness can decimate our hope and leave us feeling demoralized. Do you feel that way today? Do you feel despondent, discouraged, depressed, maybe even despairing over what you see, what's going on, what you're currently experiencing? If so, I want to encourage you to be of good cheer. For there is hope in Jesus. There is a day coming when there won't be death or sorrow. There won't be crying or pain. There won't be pandemics or elections. There won't be riots and protests. There won't be iniquity and injustice. There won't be addiction and depression. There won't be any of the things which make this life hard. Any of the things which cause the conflict we see and feel and experience. None of those things will exist in heaven. We can have hope 
in the midst of all the conflict we see going on because we know this life is not all there is. We know this life does not have the final say. This conflict, this pandemic, this election, this riot, this war, none of them have the final say. Because Jesus is a child born. And Jesus is a son given. So we can have hope in the midst of conflict. In this life we will have tribulations. So says our Lord Jesus. But be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world. There is a day coming when all of these things will be gone and there will be no pain, no war, no sorrow, no parting. Jesus was a child born and Jesus was a son given so he can give us hope in the midst of conflict. Now, all of this sounds exciting. It sounds great. No one who hears this would say, well, I, I don't I, I don't want that. Right. I mean, I don't want light in the darkness. I just soon stumble through life. I, I don't want joy. I like my misery. No, I don't want hope. I just choose despair and depression. Nobody would say that. How can we be sure? How can we be sure Jesus can do all of this? Because. Isaiah says, He is the mighty God. Jesus is the mighty God. Now, the name mighty God is a compound of the Hebrew title El Gibor. El is the singular form of the word Elohim, which is the most common Hebrew word translated in our English Bibles as God. And Gibor means strength or power. But it carries with it the idea of someone who is a hero or a champion. So God predicts, or Isaiah predicts, the day would come when God's Messiah would invade the earth. And He wouldn't invade the earth as a normal person. right? He, he wouldn't be a flawed champion like the ones in Judges. He would come as someone unique. He would come as someone the world had never seen. He would come as the mighty God. And He would come as, as our champion and our hero who would secure for us light and joy and hope and peace and so many things we don't have time to talk about this morning. The Messiah, the mighty God, would be different than every champion who had gone before Him. Because the champions who came before him, the power of God rested on them. But the Messiah, the mighty God, Jesus, would himself be the power of God. He himself would be God in the flesh. God with us. But it still brings up the question. How did he do this? How did Jesus, the Messiah, the mighty God, our champion, our hero, how did he make it possible for us to have light and darkness, joy and misery and hope in conflict? He did this 
by doing what heroes do. He laid his life down for ours. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Like all true heroes and champions, Jesus gave himself for those who were helpless and hopeless and powerless. The phrase without strength pictures our being completely powerless to overcome a problem. And while there's a lot that goes into this, we don't have time to get into this morning. For our purposes today, we were powerless to get light in the midst of darkness. We were powerless to find joy in the midst of misery. We were powerless to find hope in the midst of conflict. And think about it. I mean, think about it. Didn't we try? Didn't we try to find purpose and focus and and a way to, to, to do what needed to be done before Jesus came? But it didn't work. We were still groping and stumbling. And though we were miserable, we thought, well, this will bring us joy. So we sought it and we tried it. And and there was pleasure in it maybe for a season, but eventually it let us down. And in the midst of the conflict, we kept hoping this party will do it. This issue will take care of it. This thing and that thing and this person and that issue. And all of them failed us. But Jesus... He came for the helpless and the hopeless and the powerless. And He gave His life for ours to be our help and to give us His light in the midst of darkness. To give us His joy in the midst of misery. To give us His hope in the midst of conflict. Romans 5 and 8 will go on to say, Jesus did this because He loved us. Man, that's great. That's good news of great joy right there. He loved us. And so He came to be our champion, our hero, our mighty God, who would die That we might live. Who would take our darkness. And give us his light. Who would take our misery. And give us his joy. Who would take our conflict. And our despair. And would give us his hope. But think about the magnitude. Of what this means. Jesus. Who died for us. Which we hear the story. And we know so often. He wasn't just any hero or any champion. He was indeed the mighty God. Not just a prophet. Not just a teacher. Not just a miracle worker. The mighty God. Now the mighty God, that's not just a snazzy saying that makes Him sound cool. That's the reality of who He is. Jesus is God In the flesh. And we have to understand this. This is 100% critical. Jesus was 100% God and He was 100% man. He, He was God. He is God in the flesh. And if we ever seek to downplay one or other, whether it's His deity or His humanity, we make Him less than what He is. 
He was and is 100% God and 100% man. To depart from this doctrine is to depart from the faith. It is to depart from Christianity and all we hold dear. Anyone who teaches Jesus as anything but 100% God and 100% man is a heretic and a false teacher who must be rejected. And anyone who believes Jesus as anything but 100% God and 100% man is lost and condemned and must repent of their unbelief and their sin and receive Christ as Savior and Lord and as their God. Scripture, the New Testament particularly, reinforces this idea in several ways. In John 12, we're reminded Isaiah's vision in Isaiah 6 is a vision of Jesus in all of His glory. So when we read Isaiah 6, and we see God high and lifted up, and the train of His robe fills the temple, and the angels cry out, Holy, Holy, Holy! is the Lord God Almighty. They are crying that out to Jesus is who they're seeing in that moment. In John, Colossians, and Hebrews, we're told Jesus is the one who created all things. So the Old Testament pictures God as Creator. And the New Testament says Jesus is the God who is the Creator. And so the glorious God of Isaiah 6, the great creator God of Genesis 1, willingly cast off his glory, came to earth as a human. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He did amazing miracles. He taught great things that astounded the deep religious scholars and educated those who were very, very far from God. And then after about 33 years of life and three years of active ministry, he was betrayed by one of his disciples, beaten cruelly, mocked horrifically, and crucified, murdered on a Roman cross. And yet the cross was not a surprise. The cross was the point of it all. Jesus didn't come to live a perfect life just to give us an example of how we're supposed to live. Jesus didn't come and teach great things just to give us things to study and meditate on in our lives. Jesus came for the explicit purpose of dying in our place for our sin. Paying the penalty our sins deserve. After fully taking the wrath of God in our place on the cross, He died. He laid down His life, it says in John 10. He was laid in a tomb. Three days later, He rose from the dead, eternally victorious over sin and death. And now because of His sinless life, His sacrificial death and His victorious resurrection, we are able to be completely forgiven for our sins. We're able to be reconciled to God. And we're able to be adopted as His children. But we're now also able to have light in the midst of darkness. Joy in the midst of misery. 
hope in the midst of conflict? Do you need a champion today? Do you need a hero today? Do you need the mighty God who can give you his joy in the midst of your misery? His light in the midst of your darkness. His hope in the midst of your conflict. If so, then today you need Jesus. Don't don't just end the video and, and go on. If you need Jesus, if you need light and joy and hope, turn to the mighty God who will give it to you. And if you would say, I, I have those things, I know the mighty God. He is my mighty God. And here's my challenge to you. Think beyond yourself and think to those out there. Because what Jesus did in you, he can do for others. Jesus can not only give us light for our darkness, he can give them light for their darkness. Jesus can not only give us joy for our misery or in our misery, but he can also give them joy in their misery. And Jesus can not only give us hope in our conflict, but He can also give them hope in their conflict. Do you know someone living in darkness? Jesus can give them light. Go tell them about Him. Do you know someone living in misery? Jesus can give them joy. Go tell them about Him. Do you know some living in conflict and despair? Jesus can give them hope. Go tell them about him. Jesus is the mighty God. Our champion who laid down his life in our place. May we live in the fullness of all he came to give us. May we settle for nothing less than what the Bible says is ours. And may our experience of tasting and seeing that the mighty God is good lead us to go and tell others what the mighty God can do in them and through them and for them. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Oh God, we give you today our lives. And we ask you to search us, to try us, to see if there's any wicked way in us. And if there is, lead us to the way of everlasting life. Father, I pray for those who today are living in darkness. Father, let them see the great light shine. Let them see Jesus as the one who can light up their darkness and let them turn to Him. Father, I pray for those who are living in misery right now. Let them hear Jesus calling them to come. All that are heavy laden to find rest for their souls. 
Let them go to Jesus and find the joy only He can give. I pray for those who are despairing, who are in the midst of conflict. Let them find in Jesus the great hope there is. The realization this world and this life is not all there is. And I pray for all of us, God, to open our eyes. To look beyond ourselves. To see the others around us. Take to them the mighty God who can do great things. We ask in Jesus' name for His sake. Amen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Love you guys. We'll see you Wednesday, I hope.